And let me invite you to grab your Bible and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. This morning, I want to invite you to think about the word holy. What comes to your mind when I say that word holy? Uh, We tend to think of that as like a religious, spiritual word. We know that God is holy. And there are some other things that we tend to label as holy. We, we think of the church as being a holy place. That's why when I was a kid, I got yelled at for running in God's house, right, or hopping over the pews. This is a holy place, okay, young man. We call the Bible God's holy word. We have holy week. We even call Israel the holy land, right? But on the flip side of that, there are some things that we know that we may consider unholy, Right? Like those words that you learned on the school bus as a kid, some unholy words. And I've been told that you can actually uh, dress unholy, act unholy, even listen to unholy music. I know none of you do that, no. Unfortunately, people like to use the word holy with some other words to form an unholy exclamation. Uh, And there are other negative ways to use the word. Have you ever been called a holy roller? Yeah, there's that one, or sometimes it's even used sarcastically, like, oh, yeah, he's just so high and holy, he just thinks he's something, doesn't he? So so we have the different uses of the word holy, but here's the question I have for you this morning. What about you? Do you consider yourself holy? On one hand, we might kind of bristle at that, like, me holy? No, I got a lot of problems and struggles. I know me personally, I think and do and say things that are not always very holy. But then on the flip side of that, it's like, you know, I'm a Christian. I've been saved. I've been made holy by the blood of Jesus. And I know I'm, I'm growing to become more holy. So we have that, that tension in our lives. So, so the question is, what does it mean to be holy? And how can we become holy? Is it even possible for a sinner like me to be holy? That's what I want to share with you this morning as we continue walking through our series through the book of 1 Peter. The title of this series we established is Living in Exile. And we said from the beginning, Peter is not writing to literal exiles, but rather these are spiritual exiles. Believers who have their citizenship in heaven and yet they live here on a fallen earth. And we said that's true for us too. So that makes us exiles, strangers, living in kind of two different worlds simultaneously. We know we're going to a better place, to a better kingdom, but we're still here in this fallen world now. What does that mean for us? Well, that's why Peter wrote this letter, to help us understand how we can live out our faith in exile. So let's walk through our passage, read through it. And I want to invite you, would you please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word? This is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. 
He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Amen. You can be seated. The central idea of this passage is a call to holiness. So as we walk through the text, I want to give you three ways this morning that we can be holy. Here's the first. Number one, to be holy, we must walk in hope. There's an old joke that preachers say, but it's true. Uh, Whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you need to ask what it's therefore, right? You heard that one? And here, right at the beginning of verse 13, we have a therefore. And this is important because it tells us that Peter's building on what he just said. Verses 13 through 21 are laid like a house on a foundation of verses 1 through 12. So let's remember verses 1 through 12. You remember verses 3 through 9 were all about the great hope that we have as exiles. Even though we suffer and experience these various trials, we've been born again to according to God's great mercy. And here was the key phrase, remember, to a living hope. We are hopeful exiles. We are looking to the day when we will receive our future inheritance from Jesus. And right now that gives us a present joy no matter what. Then in verses 10 through 12, we talked about how blessed we are in Christ. We had the audacity to say that we are more blessed than the prophets because they were pointing to this day. They were ministering to us. And to even say we're more blessed than angels because it said the angels long to look at what we have. So we are extraordinarily blessed. And with all that in mind as the foundation, Peter says, therefore. He's saying, hey, based on all I just said, here's what you need to do. And this is a pattern we see throughout the whole Bible. First comes the gospel. Then comes the commands. First comes faith. Then comes works. This is the way most of the New Testament letters are structured. This is even in the Old Testament. God saved the people out of Egypt. Then he gave them the law. So the point is that the gospel should affect how we live. When we come to truly know Jesus, it should impact our lives. So it's very important that we read these verses today in light of what has come before. Our call to be holy is rooted in the gospel. So verse 13 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, Peter is reaffirming something we, we saw a few weeks ago. We're called to set our hope on Jesus. And you'll remember that hope in the Bible is not a wish like we tend to think of it, but hope in the Bible means confident expectation. So we look forward with a confident expectation to Jesus, and this hope is the basis for our holiness. There are two phrases here in this verse that inform how we set our hope in Jesus. The first phrase is preparing your minds for action. Uh, Literally translated, that means to gird up the loins of your mind. A little weird, right? But you got to remember, in the Bible times, they were uh, used to wearing these long robes that kind of restricted movement. So whenever they needed to run or do some kind of strenuous activity, they would gird up their loins. They'd take that robe and they'd wrap it around themselves so they could move and do whatever they need to do. So to tell someone to gird up the loins of your mind is to say, hey, get ready. Be prepared. Let's go. It's time for action. 
Second phrase tells us how to set our hope is to be sober-minded. Another way to translate that is being self-controlled. The idea is we don't need to be sleepy or apathetic or out of it. And, you know, we typically think of sobriety in terms of alcohol. But, and this is kind of a similar idea. This is a mental state that is not foggy or confused. So taken together, we should set our hope in a way that is prepared and focused. Our hope is not wishful thinking. Our hope is not watching and waiting. Our hope is sharp and ready. So to walk in this kind of hope produces action. I think about it this way. When I uh, worked at a grocery store in high school, every once in a while my manager would come around and he'd say, hey, hey, be ready, Scott is coming by today. Now, Scott, he was our general manager. He was kind of the big, big boss. And Scott, uh, bless his heart, he was not the nicest guy in the world. He was the kind of guy that walked around just looking at somebody to scream at, okay? So when they said, Scott's coming by today, I worked in such a way as to be prepared, okay? Probably should have worked that way all the time, but hey. Uh, I didn't, you know, get on my phone. I made sure all the carts in the parking lot were brought in. I had the floors nice and shiny. I, I acted based on my expectation of what was coming. Hope impacts how you live. If you hope to get a raise, you work hard. If you hope to get the job, you dress up nice, you're prepared for the interview. Hope impacts how you live, and this is what Peter's telling us, to be holy. Walk in hope. And as those two phrases we just talked about suggest, walking in hope starts not with our feet, but with our minds. It's amazing how little we think about what we think about. Let me say that again. It's amazing how little we think about what we think about. But the Bible has a lot to say about our minds and our thoughts. We read things like, be transformed by the renewal of your what? Your mind. Take every thought captive. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So how we think impacts how we feel, which impacts how we live. And hope is a part of our thinking. Hope is something that starts mentally in our inner self. And verse 13 tells us that we have a choice. We can choose to set our hope on Jesus, on grace. We need to prepare our minds and be sober-minded. We need to make a conscious choice to place our hope on the grace of Jesus, then that will affect how we live. So let me ask you, is your mind filled with hope? I'm not talking about just being a positive person. That's great, but it's more than that. Are you filling your mind and thoughts with the Word of God? Are you seeking to take your thoughts captive to repent of sinful thoughts and redirect them to Jesus? What are you choosing to dwell on and to expend your mental energy on? What is it that you think about most often? If you spend all day filling your mind with worry and fear, that's not hopeful. And it's going to affect how you live. If you spend all day filling your mind with junk and gossip with your friends and anger and bitterness at your job, that's not hopeful and it's going to affect you. If you spend all day complaining in your mind and wallowing in self-pity and woe is me, why does this always happen to me? That's not hopeful. If you spend all day listening to or watching cable news, Lord knows that it's not helpful, hopeful. So setting your hope 
starts in the way you think and what you think about. It's fixing your mind on Jesus and his grace so that will then affect how you live. So to be holy first, you must walk in hope. Here's second. Second, to be holy, walk in obedience. Look at verses 14 through 16. It says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is the center of the passage right here. It's, it's a call to holiness. But it's important to see how this is framed. He starts by addressing us as obedient children. Peter is reminding us that our obedience and holiness happens in the context of a relationship. We are children of God. He is our loving Father. I'm trying to teach my two children how to obey. And uh, I think that's an essential part of parenting, right? Something you got to do, teach obedience. But boy, it's hard, okay? <laughs> it's hard. They're one and three years old. And, and here's why it's hard, because uh, they don't want to obey. They don't. And, and, and biblically speaking, they, they can't fully obey. They are so sweet and cute little depraved sinners. They are. They are. Yet I still have to train them and teach them. But I don't do this as some kind of faceless authority figure in their life. But I do it as their father who loves them. I don't tell them, I say, hey, young lady, if you hit your brother again, you're out in the streets. No, I'm not going to throw them out no matter how many times they throw a fit. I will not eventually change how I feel about them based on their behavior. My calling them to obey is grounded in my love, my unconditional care for them as their father. And this is exactly what God does to us. It's not, hey, be holy so you can be my child. No, it's you are my child, now be holy. And that is the difference between legalism and the gospel. Legalism says, hey, follow the rules so you can earn God's favor, so you can make it into heaven. The gospel says, no, you have God's favor now. You are already seated in heaven with Christ now, so now follow the rules. You see the difference there? We are a part of God's family. That's what verses 1 to 12 were about. We've been saved by God's grace. We're his children. But with that comes responsibility. We have a calling on our lives, and that is a calling to be holy. And he presents it with this word, conformity. To be conformed means to fit something to a mold. It's to shape something into the image of something else. And the truth is, all of us are being conformed to something. Whether we realize it or not, we're being shaped and chiseled by things all the time. So Peter says, hey, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. And by former ignorance, Peter means before these Christians were Christians. There was a time when all of us lived apart from Jesus. The Bible says we were dead in our sins. We were following the ways of the world. We were following our sinful desires. Do you remember what your life was like before Jesus? I was saved when I was seven years old, so I don't really remember a whole lot about before that time. But those of you who were saved as adults or teenagers, you may remember very clearly what that was like. Whether you remember it clearly or not, whether you were young or old, the same is true for all of us. Before Jesus, we simply did what came naturally to us. We did what we wanted. We did what felt right. 
But then we were saved. God changed our hearts. We were born again. And now we have the Holy Spirit in us. Yet we still struggle because we have our former selves, our sinful flesh. And there's this kind of tug of war going on within us. But the difference is for a Christian, now we're able to choose. We can choose to fight sin and to be holy. So Peter says, don't be conformed by your old sins. Don't let those old desires that still hang around shape you. So on one hand, obedience means choosing not to sin. It's avoiding temptation, fighting it off, confessing, repenting. But then Peter gives us the same side, the other side of the same coin. He says simply, be holy in all of your conduct. So it's more than not sinning. It's also choosing to do holy things. What are those things? How can I be holy? That's why Peter quotes this verse from Leviticus where God tells Israel, he says, hey, be holy as I am holy. To be holy is to be like God. And when it comes to holiness, we speak of a Christian's holiness in two ways. And this is really important to understand. Because this is the tension we talked about at the beginning. There is positional holiness and there is practical holiness. Positional holiness refers to the fact that as a Christian, you have been made holy already. That is your position. You are in Christ. Because of his death on the cross, you have his righteousness. So right now you are holy. Not because of anything you've done, but because of Jesus. Then there's practical holiness. Practical holiness refers to the need for us to live out our holiness and become more and more like Jesus. And that's the tension. We are holy, yet we're called to be holy. We have been made holy, yet we must live out who we are. Think about it like this. I, uh, I grew up as a pastor's kid. My dad was the pastor in my small town at First Baptist Church right off the town square. And so people kind of viewed me through the lens of my dad and his ministry, for better or worse. <laughs> I remember one of the first times I got in trouble in elementary school. I was goofing off with a friend in the school assembly, and the principal pulled me into his office afterward. He said, son, would you be doing that if your dad was up there preaching? I said, no, I'd probably be asleep, but no, I didn't, I didn't say that. But, you know, he kind of viewed me in that way, and, and people would joke with me. Because I was a PK, I was a preacher's kid, and in school when someone would say a cuss word or tell a bad joke, they would, like, apologize to me. Like, oh, I'm so sorry, I forgot your dad's a preacher. Like, that meant something. And, or my personal favorite, they'd say, oh, he's got holy ears, he can't hear this. <laughs> so positionally, I was holy because of who my dad was. I wasn't really, but that's how people saw me. But practically, I still had to learn and, and grow into holiness. I, I had my dad's reputation and standing, yet I still had to make my own choices. Why am I sharing all this fancy stuff about positional holiness and practical holiness with you? Well, here's why. This is important. Because our holiness is not keeping a list of rules. It's not, hey, here's 10 steps to being holy. Don't cuss. Don't go to church. Say your prayers. Then boom, you're holy. No, holiness is about a relationship. 
It's about who you are because of who your Father is. God is holy. He's set apart. He's completely pure. And for us to be in a relationship with Him, He must make us holy through His Son, Jesus. So He calls us to live that out. And He's given us everything we need to do it. He's given us His Holy Word. He's put His Holy Spirit in us. He's given us His church. And yet, we still have to obey. God has given us everything we need. But we still have to act. Even though we're saved by grace and not by works, we cannot minimize the need to obey. God calls us to obey his word. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. So we should be actively seeking to obey more and more of God's word. And as we do, God shapes us more and more into the image of Jesus. That's what holiness is. It's being conformed not to who you were, but to who you now are in Jesus. And part of what motivates us to obey and be holy is fear. Look at this in verse 17. Peter writes, And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. What is God, uh, what is, uh, God wanting us to fear? It's him. God wants us to fear him. And this is something in the Bible we don't talk about a ton, but the Bible teaches that we are called to fear God. And this is not a terror that causes us to run away from God, but rather this is an awe and a respect that causes us to run to him in reverence. And again, this is best understood in the context of relationship. You know, there's a sense in which children should fear their parents. Not fearing harm from them, but respecting them. Fearing their disappointment and discipline. And that's how we fear God. He loves us. We love him. So we want to please him. We want to honor him. We don't want to bring shame to his name. Because ultimately, as Peter says, we fear him because he's going to judge us. We're going to stand before him and give an account for what we've done with our lives. And that should cause us to have fear towards him. That should cause us to want to obey. But here's the key. We must always be sure to ground our obedience in grace. That's the third and last way to be holy and we'll be done. Walk in hope. Walk in obedience. And walk in grace. Look at verses 18 and 19. It says, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The ultimate reason we can and should be holy is because of God's grace to us in Jesus. And that's what Peter wants us to see here. He says, hey, you need to know you were ransomed. We talked before when we went through Revelation, the idea about uh, being ransomed, it refers to the purchasing of a slave out of slavery or a prison out of prison. The Bible says that the death of Jesus was like a ransom. He purchased us from our sinful selves, and the price he paid was not silver or gold. It was something way more valuable than that. It was the precious blood of Jesus. And one of the stranger themes of the Bible is blood. There's a lot of blood in Scripture. And if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, it's kind of weird. What's up with all this blood talk? Well, you remember in the Old Testament law, 
Whenever Israel sinned, they would offer sacrifices. They would take an animal and they would actually slaughter it and its blood would take their place. But one animal sacrifice wasn't enough. That's why they had to routinely keep doing these things and sacrificing and sacrificing until one day God provided a perfect sacrifice with much better blood, and that's the blood of Jesus. That's why he calls him a lamb without blemish or spot. I mean, think how much more powerful must the blood be of a perfect person, God in flesh compared to an animal. The blood of Jesus is infinitely more valuable, infinitely more powerful, because his blood can forgive all the sins for all God's people. So the blood of Christ is the basis for our holiness, but he doesn't stop there. Look at verses 20 to 21. It says, He, Jesus, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world. That means his coming was planned in eternity past. It wasn't an accident or an afterthought or some plan B. God's plan from before time was to send his son to redeem his people. And we happen to live in the times when this has been made manifest. That means we know of his coming. And notice he says it's, it's for the sake of you. Man, think about that. What a privilege we have in Christ that God sent his son for your sake. He speaks then of his being resurrected and glorified so that we can put our faith and hope in God. Man, this right here is the gospel. And this is the basis and motivation for our holiness. That's the the main thing I want to drive home as we close. Because it's so easy to read a text like this and to hear a sermon like this and walk away and say, you know what, i got to try harder. i got to do better. i got to do more. And we slip into that old habit of thinking that we can achieve holiness on our own. We walk away with a list of ways to be holy. We love a list. I'm a list person, okay? I make a lot of lists every day. I go to work. I have a list of things I need to do. When my wife sends me to the grocery store, I say, I, I need a list. I need a list. It's how I organize my life. And my natural tendency is to do the same thing with my faith. Okay, God, just give me a list. You want me to read my Bible? Check. Let me go to church? All right, check. Just give me the list and I'll be holy. Friends, this is the opposite of the gospel. Having a list mentality will cripple your spiritual life. It will lead you to guilt when you don't check off your list and self-righteousness when you do. We are not saved by grace and then go grow by our own strength. We're not saved by Jesus, then go grow by me. No, it's grace all the way through from start to finish. And certainly there are things we must do in obedience to the gospel, but even our obedience is in, comes from God's grace. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So holiness comes from the gospel. It doesn't come from you and your list and your own effort. It comes from trusting and abiding more deeply in Jesus. Set your hope fully on grace. It's not about you. It never was. It never will be. It's about Jesus and what he's done. And the more we fix our eyes and our minds and our hearts on him, the more we will desire holiness and the more we will find the grace to do it. 
So what about you? Are you a holy person? If not, you don't need a list. You need to make a beeline to the cross. You don't need five steps to a better you. You simply need to live out who you already are in Christ. And if you have never believed the gospel and trusted in Jesus before, that's your first step because there is no hope of holiness. There's no hope, period, apart from him. It starts and ends with Christ. Trust in Jesus. Walk in him. And be holy as he is holy. Because this is what we were made for. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.